Good to be together. It's great to be with you. My name's Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. Uh, and congratulations to all you Cub fans and, and uh, Indian fans. I don't know how many of them are here, but great to be with you this morning. Um, well, today, I guess what we're doing is we're wrapping up this series I've called, we've been calling the mission. And you'll notice it says He is the mission. And why is that? Well, Jesus gave us a mission, an objective. It started with His 12 disciples. And if you'd like to read along with me, here it is, and up on the screen in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. You know, um, Meyer's reminding me of something here, and that is that. Um, we have a lot of babies that have shown up in the last year and a half or so here at Greater Alton. You know, I know Gia's in the crowd. Uh, William, I just saw William and Nora just a minute ago. Uh, you know, um, we have um, the twins, you know, Owen and Lucas. And there's um, Nick and Bree's uh, daughter, Vesper. There's, there's all these different, these kids. And, uh, you know, Nathan's, we got, and you're right, you know, I didn't applaud when he said there was another one coming. You say, why not? Don't you like kids? I love kids. It's just that I know with another grandchild, man, that's a lot, a lot of inheritance going away, you know, someday. And so, <laughs> might be gone before I die. So, but, um, but, one, but, but one of the things, that's a joke. By the way, but the thing, um, is I just think about how exciting it is when we announce that a baby is, is, is coming. Um, and we know that um, and that obvious uh, it was put together by the love of a man and a woman. It was exci- you know that's exciting. And they announce the baby's coming, and then we and then we wait, and then the baby is born, and we hear some some people say, well, how much labor? Well, I had twenty some hours of labor. I had you know, and, and I'm not uh, listen. I I did not go through labor. Okay, my labor started after the child came. All right. But but I know that you, you moms talk about this. Oh, I had this much labor, that much labor. But you know, after that kid is born, doesn't the labor really begin? I mean, there's a lot of work in bringing up a child, and, and especially bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so there's a lot of parents get excited, but then we start to worry about our kids. We go, how are they going to be okay? And you know, you think about it. Why? Why is that? Because we want them to grow strong. We want them to be mature. And someday we hope to have grandchildren. I'm reminded of a story again of John Maxwell when he was, I'll tell it again, where he talked about the, you don't want to kill your kids. And someone said, why not? Because they give you grandkids. And he had said that while his son was in the audience and, and he realized, oh, maybe I should, he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, son, for saying that. You know, I can tell maybe it didn't mean it. You know, just joking. He goes, that's fine. You know, grandpa and I talked about it and we agree. And so there's that, there's that idea, you know, those of you who are laughing didn't get it the first time. Okay, I get it. But the idea there is that, you know, we, we see children, we see people grow, and we hope they'll mature and reproduce. We'd love to see that. All of life depends on this, this process of growing up and someday reproducing. Even the kingdom of God depends on this. If we don't raise up people, if we don't like make disciples like Jesus said and teach them to obey everything I've commanded, you see, then, then the the disciples will not multiply. And see, for and, and Jesus defines his mission by what he did to make disciples. And so 
what we've been looking at in this series is just that whole idea. What does it mean to make disciples as a church? What are we going to do? I believe God's going to, t- each one of us are going to face God, but you know, uh, alone, before God someday. But I wonder if we are, as a church are going to face God as a group. I mean, there are groups of churches that Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation. Why wouldn't he address? Is he just going to do seven churches? I'm sure there's going to be lots of churches that are going to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day. And, there were, and we are going to be one of those churches that's going to give an account. Did we make disciples while we were here? Did we, did we have a clear objective and did we fulfill the mission as best we could? You know, we're not perfect. Of course not. We're a mess sometimes. But did we, did we just do the best we could with what we had to make disciples? And so that's what I want to, what I want to talk about today is this idea of what does it take to make disciples as we close this, this, um, series down. Um, look, uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is that making disciples is a training process that leads to maturity. God doesn't want us just to be born and stay that way. He wants us to grow. And so it's a process. Like I said before, most of the labor that, uh, that, I re- that uh, Denise can remember the labor of, of the birth, but I'm sure we both would tell you there's a lot of labor that follows that process of raising our kids and raising um, and bo- raising boys. Well, raising disciples is the same way. There's lots of work, and it's a process. And, and God wants us to grow. Look at this in he- passage in Hebrews 6. We must try to become mature and start thinking about more than just the basic things we were taught about Christ. The Hebrew writer says there's more to it than what you've initially learned. There's more to learn, more to grow, more to and, 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 and to become mature in. It's a process. Ephesians 4 says, We're not meant to remain as children at the mercy of every chance wind of teaching, but we're meant to hold firmly to the truth in love and to grow up in every way into Christ, the head. So making disciples does involve bringing people to God, but it also helps, we're also to help people become like God or become like Christ. And so how, does the, how do the disciples do this? What would the disciples do to fulfill this mission? Well, I believe what they did and what they were planning to do was the very same thing Jesus did with them. Whatever Jesus did with them to help them become followers, they were in turn going to do the same thing. And that's because that, and, and what was that? What did he use? He used relationships. In fact, the primary way Jesus made disciples was through relationships. He didn't have a special school. He didn't get to have to have a special diploma, you know, unlike today. You have to have a diploma. You have to have you, you have to have classes and professors and things of that nature. And even in his day, there were scribes and, and classes and groups and schools made to mature and grow people into leadership. Jesus used none of those. He simply had a simple way of maturing believers, and that was through friendship, through relationships. He just merely shared his life with his guys. And through that process, in real time, as they went through life together, they grew. They encountered things. They were corrected. They were challenged. And they learned a lot about how to be great followers. Now, one of the things I notice here when, I, when you study the life of Christ is you're going to notice that he was limited just like you and I. What do you mean, Tim? Well, when Jesus became human, when he became human and when he came to this earth, he was forced to live within the same boundaries of space and time like you and I. Now, what that means is there was only a limited number of people that he could really develop and train. He couldn't invest all of his time 
to everyone. He had to focus on a few. And that naturally made him closer to some people than to others. And that's because he recognized the different levels of relationships that we all have. You have them. I have them. The Lord had them. And thank God he models for us as a Christian. Here's how you fulfill this mission, Greater Alton. Here's how you make disciples. Just imitate what I do and you'll be just fine. In fact, I will be with you every step of the way to the end to help you do this. Now, one of the things I notice again as, we're, as we get ready to get into these relationships is that Jesus had good, rela- had good relationships on all levels. He, he made sure he had those relations. There were good relationships on all levels. Now, some of them, what do you mean, Tim? Well, I mean that, that he would have the same quality of love, whether it be in the crowd or an individual. But the difference was his quantity of love. He had to choose. Sometimes he could, he'd spend lots of time with a few and not with the masses. But they'd get the same love. Now this is important as we close out this series. I don't want to waste this series. I don't want us to, okay, another great lesson series. File it. We're done. What's next? What are we doing next? This is, you know, the first lesson and the last lesson I think are the two most important lessons in the series. And uh, what I want us to get today is this, okay? If we're going to make disciples here at Greater Alton, we must accept our limited, uh, li- the limitations we have due to time and space. We, as, as a person who helps others grow and as a person who's getting helped, we have to, we have to understand we're limited by time and space and we have to, re- listen, recognize and appreciate all the levels of relationships we have. All of them. And not pick one over the other and just say, that's what I'm going to be about. But all of them are important. And we need to, in their proper place, in, in, the, in, in the, the environment in which they uh, live. So what are these five relationships? Let's talk about them. You know, it's this, this week my points are backwards. I, I start with five. We have five points. Let's start with five. Are we done already? No, we're starting with five, okay? <laughs> Number five. Here's a level five. My relationships with the crowd. All of us have them. That's the most common thing we have. You have crowds. I have crowds. What's your crowd? Do you know what it is? Where's your crowd? Is it your workspace? Your workplace? Yeah. Can it be, can it be your campus? Absolutely. Where's the crowd that you encounter? Could it be, uh, someone said to me in the first service, well, it's when we're at Schnucks or at Shop and Save. Absolutely. People in the checkout line. When you go to a ball game, when you go to the park, when you see soccer with your kids, there's a crowd of parents. There's a crowd of people. We all have them. We all have We come to church. There's even a crowd here. Jesus understood that. You don't have to study the life of Jesus very long until you see He had a relationship with crowds of people. Look at this in Matthew 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, He went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to Him and He began to teach them. Isn't it funny? Back then, the teacher sat down and everybody that listened was standing up. And they didn't complain about the length of the lesson. Ooh, did I hear a ooh? Well, isn't that interesting? So when Jesus was looking for a place to sit, they knew, uh-oh, he's getting ready to say something. And so, he, and what does he do? He teaches the crowds with his disciples there. He has a relationship with the crowd. In Matthew 9, look at this. And what pity he felt for the crowds that came because their problems were so great that they didn't know what to do or where to go for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. 
The harvest is so great and the workers are so few, he told his disciples. So pray to the one in charge of the harvesting and ask him to recruit more workers into his harvest field. i got to tell you, there's several things I notice in this passage. One of them is a side note. I've got to say something about this. I notice Jesus is concerned about the size of two things from this passage. Did you catch that? The size of two things in this passage. He's concerned about, first he says, the harvest is too big. He's saying, it's just too much. I can't do it all. I can't do it all. And, And he says, the workers, the amount of workers is too small. Did you catch that? Listen, church. There's a lot of reasons to have a big church. You follow me? A lot of reasons to have a big church. Well, if we have a big church, everybody will think we're cool. If we have a big church, if we have a big church, we're going to stand out in the community and we're going to, we're going to be a success. If we're a big church, it means that we're, we're, we're getting older, we're growing, we're maturing. And by the way, if the size of this congregation indicates maturity, why are you all different sizes? Why are some of you who are old as dirt smaller than somebody 20 years of age? I'm not saying... So what's the purpose? I'll tell you what. With all that said, there's a reason to have a larger church. Because the harvest is too big. It's so big, we need more. And notice it says, Jesus said this to His disciples, pray to the one in charge... Ask him to recruit more workers. He says, I need more servants working in my harvest fields. Now, that's a side thought, just to remember that. When we're talking about why do we want a big church, we want a big church so we can harvest people, so we can, we can be laborers and fulfill the mission of bringing people to Christ. But I want, to, I want you to see something. Though Jesus couldn't personally work with everyone, notice he realized, I can't. I can't work with everyone. We need more people. We need more workers. I need more people to help me. I noticed that even though that was a challenge, it did not keep him from connecting with the crowds around him. He still tried to connect with people. And it's through this relationship with the crowd you find the Lord selecting men and women out of there to be his disciples. Who makes up your crowd? Do you have a relationship with your crowd? How would you answer that question? My crowd is, what would it be? Is it my workplace? Is it my campus? Is it my city? You see, I can't, listen, we can't stay home all the time. Do you understand? We can't stay home all the time. We've got to be out on the streets. We need to be in our community events. We we must, if we're going to make disciples, we've got to have a relationship out, out there in the park or the, way, or the checkout line at Schnucks or wherever we are in our, in our just down the, the neighborhood we have. Do you know your neighbors? Why? Because it helps us meet people. And Jesus wants you to meet people. Of all the people, let me tell you, and I'm, maybe I'm biased. I'm biased. I don't care if you're a Cub fan. That don't, that don't matter. Okay. I, I want you to know something. I want you to know something. I want, I want people to meet the people in my church. They meet a lot of crazy people out there, but I like to meet the Lord's crazy people. You know? 
I'd like, to, I'd, like to, I'd like for people to meet you and I on the street, wherever we are. And we need to just think about that. Do you have a relationship with the crowd? Are you just part of the crowd? Are you thinking how you can connect with the crowd? Jesus did. Number two, or number four, I'm sorry. Level four is my relationship with my church. Jesus had a relationship with the crowd, but he also had a relationship with his church. He believed there needed to be a church. He believed in church. You know, um, and he had good relationships, by the way. He had good relationships with large groups of believers. Not everyone can say that when you stop and think about it. In fact, not everyone says that. Not everyone says they have a good relationship with church. In fact, right now in our country, there is a trend that's been growing over the last several years. People are getting away from church. Our, one of my discipleship groups I was sitting down, we were just discussing, what's the difference between the American church today and the early church? Well, that was a lively discussion. I mean, have, have we become... Have, have, and, and I've watched the church growth movement from the 80s through the 90s to now, and I've watched, our, I've watched churches transform into many amusement parks. And I'm not, nothing wrong with having coffee. I like coffee. I'm glad we have coffee. But it's become this mall where you can come and get whatever you need. And very little about going out and giving people what they need. And I think there's room for bringing people. I'm not denying that, okay? But it's like one, one is over the other somehow. And I just know a lot of people, they're turned off by church. They say things like this. They say, I love Jesus. It's the Christians I can't stand. Hmm. I've seen that on a bumper sticker the other day, by the way. I, I, people have this idea, I can have a relationship with God. I don't need a church. Or they'll say, my relationship with God is very private, and therefore I don't need anybody sticking their nose in my business telling me how to be a disciple. One time I heard this just a, just a few weeks ago. I haven't really found a home church because I'm, every time I seem to be getting involved, there's a lot of church politics. I almost got up with him and said, I'm with you. It is. It's frustrating. But I can tell you, a lot of people don't have a, a, lot of people don't have a good relationship with the church. But can I also tell you, a lot of Christians aren't satisfied with church either? That are attending. They're not satisfied either. In this little book by Blue Like Jazz, I think it's in your notes, Don Miller said this, I'd say half of the most impactful people I know who love Jesus and cheer up at the mention of His name, who reach out to the poor and lonely and are fundamentally sound in their theology, who create institutions that feed hundreds of thousands, do not attend a traditional church service. Many of them even speak at churches, but they have no home church and don't long for one. I'm meeting more and more people like this. Why are so many believers dissatisfied the church? Well, you know, maybe their disenchantment with the church could be legitimate. Let me give you a few thoughts to, to back this up. For example, instead of going to church, these people are eager to be the church. They're looking for a place where they can be church, not just attend church. Instead of being just another face in the crowd or a number, or a contributor of a check or whatever, and the check's in the plate, their, their attitude is they're eager to be needed and appreciated in some kind of community of people. 
Instead of being passive observers of an event, they're eager to be active contributors to a shared mission. They want to be on the same page with somebody. Instead of listening to a preacher pontificate and tell stories, they are, listen, they're eager to be part of a story that's bigger than the preacher. I'm in. Instead of being around people who accept Jesus, who seem to be bored with Him, they want to be around people who come alive at the mention of His name. I want to tell you this morning, some of these may, this may be true. And it may, and it may justify in some people's minds why they're not part of a church. But listen to me this morning. Is, it is essential that you have a home church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. See, He's going to have His church whether or not you're in it. He will have His church. He will have His group of devoted followers. He, will, he says, and the gates of hell don't have a chance against it. It's going to be here. Whether I want to be in it or not. And why? Because He, he knows I need it. You need it. I don't know what it is. There's something. There's just something good. There's, I, I'm, I'm wrestling with the next series here, and that word "good." Mm, I like that word. There's something good about being a part of a larger group. Last night, Alan, I kid you not. I'm not exaggerating because a lot of times people think I do. I was watching the shootest. Okay, and then they had El Dorado on. You know, and John Wayne's last movie, The Shooter. So I'm watching El Dorado. I've seen El Dorado probably 75 to 150 times. I've lost count. I love El Dorado. I, the Shooters I never liked. And I, for the first time, I enjoyed understanding what The Shooters was all about. What's that got to do with what I'm talking about? Nothing. I'm flipping through the channels, and I go, oh, look, the Cubs are playing. And I hit it. And just as I hit it, it's one out. Here's the pitch. It's going to the double play. It goes to second. First. And I'm going, and then what happened? I only had it on for 10 seconds. But the crowd, the Cubs are they're throwing stuff. The Dodgers are, I see one, I see one Dodger walking off and a Cub walks by, puts him out of the way, go away, I'm celebrating. Sorry. And he had that loser's limp, you know, going back. And I'm, I mean, the crowd's going crazy. There's an old lady sitting behind the dugout. Do you remember that? How old is she? So she remembers when the Cubs were the last time in, unless she's, she doesn't, she doesn't remember anything? Oh. No, the last time they were in the World Series was 71 years. Do the math. Okay, now listen. Listen. I'm not saying they won it. But she was excited. She was excited. And this guy's jumping up and down. And he bumps into her. She goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You read her lips, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. We're in the world, Sarah. And I'm like going, ah, And I'm watching him jump because I've never seen the Cubs this excited in a long time. And it's exciting to watch it. It's a Wrigley Field. And the crowd is, and they're inter- interviewing, you know, it's really been a hard fought series. And, you know, we're just looking forward to being in the World Series. And it's crazy, crazy, crazy. I love crowds when they're crazy. Watch the Packers. 
Played the Cowboys at Lambeau Field. It wasn't crazy. Took the crowd right out of it. Then Cowboys beat my beloved Packers. I deleted that game just after I recorded it. But thank God for Thursday night. We're in Chicago. And the third, the Bears third string quarterback just about got us. But we woe some we, and the crowds, you know, everybody's happy. What is it about that? There's something about being part of a larger crowd. When you're at Tulsa, you ever been to Tulsa Sewing Workshop and there's 15,000 people singing? It's the hair begins to stand. And Jesus believed that we needed to be a part of a large group. He didn't believe we should be lone rangers as disciples. He wanted us to be a part of a large group. Look at what it says here. After this, the Lord chose 72 more followers. He sent them out in groups of two. He sent them ahead of Him into every town and place where He planned to go. He had more than 12 disciples. Yeah, He had 72 others. And He throws them out there, two by two. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that after this, Jesus appeared to more than 500 other followers at one time. You mean there were 500? Wow, there was a lot of... I thought there was only 120. I thought there was just a small... uh, There was 500 of them He appeared to at one time. What's going on here? He's showing us that he, want, he works with, and he has a relationship with a church, a group of believers. And there's just something special about that. You say, I don't know. Tim, you say it's special. Yeah, it's kind of like, remember when you were in high school and your school had its own colors? Mine were red and black. And we were the Edwards County Fighting Lions. And we hated the Mount Carmel Aces because they beat us all the time like a drum in football. And if someone and now I have a I have a nephew I had a nephew that played for the Aces. You know how hard it is for me to cheer for the Mount Carmel Aces. Go Aces! I'm starting to have a gag reflex. You know, it's just there's you know when you're in high school when you're in college you know, you have your team your colors your school song you're rallied around all these different kinds of kids but for some reason we're all together when the school song starts there's a loyalty a camaraderie a unity and see the church is a collection of just look around the differences were the Ostermeyer Church. Short, tall, everything you can think of. Even people with chicken pox. I mean, we got them all here. You know, we got, we got people that have done some, you know, you're sitting, you say, you know, you're sitting here, somebody isn't very, isn't, isn't perfect. And some of them are, you're going, don't look at them, they're really messed up. They may be looking at you if you look at them. See, they, they, you're the one that's messed up. We're just, we're just a messed up bunch of people here. Diverse. And yet together, at a time when our nation is so polarized, it needs a group that's together, that through thick and thin. Because we rally around. What do we have in common? I don't have a lot in common with you. Oh, wait a minute. One big thing. Jesus. And that make, that's like the school song. We're wearing His colors. We're on His team. See, we all need a place where we belong. 
a home church. You see, the church helps me grow. It helps me change. I can tell you story after story where the church has helped me grow and change. And listen, when I got involved in a ministry, I wasn't a Christian a week, and they put a puppet in my hand and put me in the kids' ministry. And I was all busy. I was out of the, I didn't get to go to this regular worship service. I went more as a non-Christian and a guest than I did as a member. What's going on here? We need you. And they got me back there, and I'm doing puppets. And I'm, and I'm, by the way, by doing that, I get to learn another group of people I, I, I wouldn't have met that it's in this ministry. And then I begin to get in some of the homes of these people, and I notice all these connections. And you know what's funny? I think the reason I'm still in the kingdom is because of all the connections from the church. Because haven't you ever had seen those people that get baptized, they become a Christian, and you wonder what's going to happen? They're only connected to one or two people. And don't you worry about them? I worry about them. We say things like this. We need to get more hooks in them. That sounds awful. But it's true. The more you get involved, the more you get connected in this group, the more solid you're going to be. Every believer needs a church. Every believer. Jesus calls this His bride. I've done weddings. I did a wedding here. And I watched a groom so excited to see his bride. Bride so excited to see his her, her, her future husband. And I watched them get together. And, and they make this vow. I will never leave you. I will never leave you. And they go out. We announce, Mr. and Mrs. Ty Beckel. And everybody applauds. And they go out. At last. You know, we're hearing that song. And out the doors they go. And you know, I think we think to ourselves, what, what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful image. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus don't mean this in any sexual way. He wants you. He wants you. He wants. He can't. He can't breathe without you. And you know what? Those of you who understand that feel the same way toward Him. What a great image. He's called the body. The church is called the body. What's that mean? All different parts? Yeah. But you know what? They all work together. Thank God I don't have... I remember G.P. Holt one time saying this. He goes, if I were God, I wouldn't have put the eyes here. I'd have put them on the end of my fingers so I could look around a corner without anybody seeing me. He goes, but see how smart I am? I'm driving a nail on my roof and I hit my thumb and I poke my eye out. I can see how that doesn't work. We have all these parts that work together. All these experiences. And they, and, and they help the body by being connected grow. The more you're connected here, the be- listen, the more you're connected, the more you're going to grow. There's no doubt about it. And the Bible says the church is not only His bride and His body, it's His family. Now, this is getting interesting. Because we all got people in our family who go, what a weird one, you know, what an odd one. The holidays are coming, right? We're going to be meeting them again. And we, ha- and, what, and you know what? The church is no different. We got, we got different. Not right or wrong, just different. And different talents, different abilities. We have resources available to us and viewpoints that, that help us grow. You need a church. I need a church. Jesus said, I, I look, I didn't say, follow me, John. Follow me, Peter. No, Peter, James, and John left their nets and followed me. And I got, I got some more guys, and we're going to have you all together. And we got 72 more, and we've also got 500 more. They all play a part. 
With that said, I want to clarify something. As good as the church can be for me, I can stop and stay at this level of relationship. For some reason, I, many people do. They go, well, this is where I'm going to stop and this is where I'm staying. I'm in. That's good enough. I'm happy. No need to do anything else. This is perfect. I like this. I like being in a crowd. I like coming to church. And, I, and they stay right there. And I want to tell you this morning, I'm not sure you're going to grow very much more at that level when you get to that level. Now, Jesus had a great, great relationship at that level. He had good relationships with people at that level. But see, I cannot stop and stay at this level and assume that the big stuff happens at this level. I mean, I, look, we get it honest. You get it honest if you... Look, look at this. we got two screens. i got three projection units. Look at the size of this structure. It's not the fanciest building, but it's got carpet. Beats dirt. We got nice, comfy chairs. We try to set the temperature right, but it's tough. We got lighting and sound. I can whisper and you can hear me. Isn't that nice? It's nice. We got a whole wing for kids. Look how much resources we put into the big group. I can see why we would think that. This must be where the big stuff happens. I got news for you. There's bigger stuff that happens when things get smaller. That's what I'm learning. When I, look at, when I look at the ministry of Christ, when I look at His strategy, when I look at His method, I find that the smaller He gets, the bigger things begin to happen. That's when the big things happen. For example, level three, my relationships in, in my small group. There's the crowd, there's the church, and then Jesus had relationships with a small group. And the example is the twelve Look what it says here in Matthew 3. Then Jesus went up on the mountain and called to Him those He wanted, and notice what it says there, circle it, they came to Him. We'll come back to that. Jesus chose twelve and called them apostles. He wanted them to be with Him. He wanted to send them out to preach, to have authority to force demons out of people. These are the twelve men He chose. Simon, Jesus, uh, Jesus named him Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would later, who later turned against him. Out of a group of a, of, of a host of followers, a large group, he picks 12 guys. The group gets smaller, but do not let the size of this group fool you. Just because it's small doesn't mean small stuff's happening. No, he's preparing these guys to go out and fulfill their mission. We're all a part of this process. Now, why is it, why is it more powerful at, as it gets smaller? Because it's more personal when it's smaller. Things get more personal. It provides a more intimate level of instruction and training. Notice again that verse. Back up one slide, please. Nathan, back up one slide, can you? Look what it says there. One more. I want to make sure you see this. They, he says he went to the mountain and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. They made a commitment to be in a small group. 
That's what I notice. Jesus says, here's the method I'm using, fellas. I want you to be a, I want you to be a part of this. And they go, see, it's not enough for God to want you to be in. You gotta wanna. I heard somebody say that's an old Indian term. You gotta wanna. And maybe it is. But you know, you gotta wanna be in a group too, if it's gonna work. He didn't chase them down. They came to him. Now why? Why do I need a small group? Let me give you two quick reasons. One, I need to be in a small group because it, because it provides personal connection and direction. It provides personal direction and connection. See, what I'm doing today is more like a shotgun effect. I'm just... But when you get in a, in, in a small group, it's a little more focused. It's a little more focused. Now listen, listen. What I mean by this is, look, you can get lost in a crowd. Some of you are hiding in a crowd. Hmm? I know it. You know it. We all know it. You're hiding. It's easy to hide in a crowd. And you can, you may get lost in a crowd, but I'll tell you this, you will get loved in a small group. You will get loved in a small group. That's why you need to be in one. Because there you find friendships, you find acceptance and companionship. You share everyday life together, not just Sunday. You get encouragement and support from this smaller group. Because, see, we're not having to focus on a lot of people. we just got to focus on this small group. And it's easier on everybody to focus on just a few. And one of the things I really like about small group is this. I get, I get practical direction from those who know God and know me. That's a great combination. To have somebody in your life that knows God and knows you. Let me ask you a question. Who would you say is at this level in your life? I think I've got a blank there for you. Who's at this level? What names would you put there? Don't just put your small group. What names would you say, these are the people that make up my small group? What I'm sharing with you right now, guys, is this, this, these last three levels are the most neglected levels in Christianity. And that's why the church lumbers so hard and, and just limps along. It's not until we get into these three levels where the real stuff happens. Number two, level two, my relationship with my closest godly friends. That's, that's another intense level. That's deeper than the twelve. It's an example is the three. See, everybody needs close godly friends, real close godly friends. I remember Mike Kiffmar one time showed me a statistic that the average person in America has a third of a friend. I go, what? Yeah, it's point three friends. A third? That's what it says, Tim. How do you do, you cut somebody? How do you do that? Shows you how many people don't have any friends, or they have just superficial relationships. They don't have anybody that really knows them. Why are we afraid of people knowing us? Why are you afraid? It's the best thing that can happen to you is having friends. Jesus even needed friends like this. He chose three. I call them the three amigos in the Bible. Peter, James, and John. And these guys spent all kinds of time, special time with Jesus. The disciples, 
and Jesus did a lot of things with the crowds, a lot of things in the public, and they did some things, just, just the 12 of them, riding in boats and such. But even out of the 12, Jesus had these three guys do some things that the other nine didn't participate in. Look at this first passage, Matthew 17. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, up to a high mountain by themselves. What happened there? Well, let's see. Moses appeared and Elijah appeared with Jesus. And they talked with one another. And those three guys, he wanted them to see this. He wanted them to be a part of it. Why not bring all twelve? He wanted these three to get it. Isn't it interesting? These three are these three are pretty strong followers of God. And they see Moses and Elijah and Jesus, and they see Moses disappear, Elijah disappear, and the three of them hear a voice from heaven say, I want you to listen to my son now. Moses and the prophets. They talked about him, so you really need to listen to what he has to say. And they, it, it, it galvanized their commitment even more. Look at this another passage here in Mark 5. Jesus let only Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, go with him. Go where? Well, if you remember, Jairus had a daughter. He was a synagogue ruler, and his daughter was ill. And so Jairus runs to Jesus, finds Jesus. There's a crowd of people, and he's te- just in the middle of telling his story. Look, I got this daughter. She's not doing real well. And Jesus is going... Yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. Somebody touched me. What? Somebody touched me. And it, and Peter goes, well, everybody's touching you, Lord. No, no. I felt power go out of me. Somebody's touched me. And you can just see Jairus going, what? I need some help here. And you're worried about somebody touching you? Somebody touched me. Who is it? And the lady that bled for 38 years goes, it was me. It was me. Gets that all solved. Now, where were we? Oh, yeah, Jairus. And all of a sudden, here comes his servants. It's too late. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother him anymore. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. Let's go. Uh, she's not dead. She's just asleep. They get to the house. He takes it. That's what it says here. He only took these three guys with him. Why not the other nine? I don't know. He just took those three. They were special to him. They get in the house. And the Bible says, I didn't know this till this morning. In the, right, there, right there in the passage, it says, they go into the room. It's crowded. A bunch of people. And he says, get everybody out of the room. And they're all going, okay, we're out here. And then he, Mom, Dad, you stay. And Peter, James, and John, I want you to stay too. I want you to see what's about to happen. And this woman is healed. This girl is healed. God wants, by the way, God still wants His disciples to see amazing things on this planet. Amen? Still wants to see that. He wants you to experience it in your life. And then look at this other passage here. Jesus and his followers went to a place called Gethsemane. And we all know this place, right? This is probably the most famous of all places that Jesus took his, his three amigos. He takes Peter, he takes his disciples for a while, and then he says to them, stop, and says, you wait here. And he says, you three, come with me. And they go a little further. And what's he say to them? He simply says, look, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Would you stay with, stay here and watch with me. What's he literally means is, would you watch over and make sure? I'm, I'm ready to pass out over this. I need you to be around in case I lose consciousness. You don't do that just for anybody. You don't tell somebody. These are your f- three closest buddies. Your clear. And by the way, when I say buddies, I don't mean somebody like the buddy old pal that looks the other way while you're doing something you shouldn't. Of course not. That gives you a pass. And says, oh, it's okay. No, we're not talking about being good old boys here. We're talking about being. True, godly, close, I got your back, redemptive type of friend. 
And Jesus has these three guys there. What is this? This is my discipleship group. This is I call these the guy time, girl time people. If you're in a guy time, girl time, I know some of you go to small group, but you not, may not make it to guy or girl time. I tell you, I have a guy time. I have, I have a group of guys. I have a plumber, a carpenter, a lawyer. And I, I, if I have leaks, I'm took care of. If I have legal problems, I'm took care of. I got it made. I got, I got a group of guys in a still small group. And we get together. And what I love about it is this. What I love about the guy time and girl time, because there's some things I know, ladies, you don't want to discuss in front of men. Right? Right? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of stuff men don't want to discuss in front of you. And I'm, we're sitting there, I'll never forget, we're sitting there, and we're, we'll be talking, and all of a sudden, somebody looked across the table and said, Tim, you okay? You seem bothered. I'll tell you why I'm bothered. And right in the middle of Rib City, I got everybody listening. And I'm spitting salad dressing all over the place. I'm bothered about this and this and this and this. Okay, okay. We've established you're bothered. But I don't get judged. I don't get condemned. Well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I don't hear that. Another guy comes in. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, my wife is dying of cancer. I need help with this. And thank God we have a guy that lost a wife to cancer that can minister to him. I love it. You can be yourself. You can be you. Your secrets are safe there. They really should be, and they are. You can say, you can say whatever the heck you want. And by the way, probably in that group I wouldn't use the word heck. Anything you want. And they wouldn't, they'd say, oh, what are you doing, Tim? And it's the same across the table. I got a problem. I don't know what to do with this. Or, I'm sensing something, or I, I, I need I need somebody to tell me. I, I want to bounce something off of you guys, and I and I'm going to give it to you, warts and all, like we've said before. And I hope we can do. I'm going to turn every card over, so you know the hand I've got. You got friends like that? I have friends like that. You have friends like that? Some friends, the Bible says, are fun to be with, but a true friend can be better than a brother. I got friends that are fun to be with, but there's some friends I have that are like my brother. They don't just watch my back, they watch me. They watch me. And they'll correct me, they'll encourage me. When I'm scared, they'll reassure me. When I'm my head's too big, they'll <laughs> deflate it for me. Listen, we all got plenty of friends we can have fun with, but where's the brother, where's the friend that's better than a brother, a true friend that will tell you, because brothers tell each other like it is. They give honest feedback. As iron sharpens iron, the Bible says, so a friend sharpens a friend. So a true friend sharpens like iron sharpening iron. You know, for that to take place, there's going to have to be a lot of contact. Sparks are going to fly. Don't get hot every once in a while. But the results are a person is spiritually sharp. You got anybody like that? It's sharp putting an edge on you? Do you have anybody in your life that, that's making you spiritually, I mean better, really, I mean better, as Donald Trump would say, bigly better, 
I mean, really, it makes you a, a, a better follower. Is there someone in your life you're putting an edge on? You're helping them have that kind of edge. This happens, this happens at level one. That's that relationship with my mentor. That's John. You see, John first meets Jesus while fishing with his brothers, but then they, for some reason they click. They, get, they become closer for some reason. It's not that, you know, I've had several men in my life that are like this. We just click. We just start clicking. Look what it says in John 13, 23. Jesus' favorite disciple was sitting next to him at the meal. The disciple whom Jesus loved is what one translation says. His favorite disciple. It's John. They're very close. Look at John 20. Look how, how close are they? Well, look. When Jesus saw his mother and his favorite disciple with her, he said to his mother, this man is now your son. What's he saying? I, I am so close to you, I trust you with my mom. We're that tight. See, everybody else is scattered. Everybody else has been running. But John follows Jesus right to the cross. He doesn't, he doesn't run. He remains with him to the cross. And that says a lot. It may explain why John's Gospel gives a unique picture of Jesus, a very intimate picture of Jesus, unlike the others. And to me, it's my opinion, but it seems that John resembles the life of Jesus more than any of the other disciples. That's what I just noticed. You keep promoting love. See, in this, this level, I could be gut honest even more honest with my three friends, I don't know if, if, if it's possible, but they know everything about me. And I get, I, I get feedback and challenge that is fair. I had a, a brother the other, just the other day, we're getting together, and he goes, I got something I want to talk to you about. And, and I let him talk for about 35, 40 minutes without saying anything, which is difficult for me. And I'm sitting there and listening. This detailed... And I go, okay, so are you saying this? Well, here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing this. And I'm saying some of the straightest stuff I've said to him in years. I go, it just seems like you're saying this and this. I'm not judging it. I don't know what I would do. I'm just giving you a soundboard here. Well, that's what I want. And then I waited for him to go, so what would you do? If I was in your situation, here's what I would do. See, that's the, kind, that's the kind of friendship you have. I've read those Proverbs uh, a little earlier. But the kind of friend that, can, that um, can sharpen you. So my question is this this morning as we close this lesson out in this series. At this level, and I want to tell you folks, you've got to be courageous to be on this level. You've got to be, you've got to be serious to be on this level. It won't make it if you just go, ah, it don't matter. Uh, you know, I'll just fake it until I make it. No, it ain't going to work. You're going to, you're going to, this, is, this, this level of relationship to make disciples is the most challenging and you grow the most here. Let me ask you this question. Who is developing you? That's the question I want you to think about. Who's that name that you'd put on? That person's developing me. And you can't put Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody that's a mentor that knows the Lord and knows you well enough that you're getting instruction from. Now, I know some of us here have been Christians a long time and we're, we're, some of us are very mature. 
And maybe you don't need as much, but who's that person that you can go to? And, but, but, it, but I want to ask you another question. And that is, who, who are you developing? Who is the person you are passing on your faith to? The things you know that will strengthen their faith. You see, if I'm going, if, if I'm going to make disciples, if we're going to make disciples around here, we're going to help other people grow, then we're going to have to sacrifice our personal indulgences you understand what I'm saying? We've got to sacrifice those personal things that we want, that we won't let go of. Our schedule can't be so sacred. Our job cannot be, no, be so sacred. And sometimes our family cannot be so sacred that we can't nudge and move the margin some so we can help others be better followers of God. A lot of churches aren't doing this. Are we going to be a church that will? I say this to you as whether you're a new member or older member, will you and I be the kind will we make a church here that's going to take the mission of Jesus seriously enough that we'll we'll set aside our wants, our desires, our personal mission to accomplish his You see, Jesus had good relationships on all levels. The question I want to ask you this morning is, what level do you need to improve in? Which level? Which level do you need to go, you know what, I need to, I need to, I need to have that going on in my life. My relationship in that level is not good, and it's going to start getting better starting today. You have a card in your bulletin, and in that, that card is a, a response card. You can make comments, yeah. You can, you can also have prayer requests, or maybe you're going to make a decision today. I just want to say to you, are you getting connected? Please get connected. The sooner you get connected, the, the better you're going to be. The deeper relationships you have, the deeper your roots will go, go and the more you will grow. Um, we're going to let, give you some time here to fill that card out. We're going to sing a song here and after I pray, and that's going to give you time to finish up that card. And then we're going to sing another song and take up those cards along with our weekly contribution. And I hope that, uh, you know, if you're a guest here, we want you to know you're under no obligation to give. But as a member, I, I pray you are giving. You're generous. Let's pray here. Father, thank You for uh, this morning, Lord. Um, Father, I pray that we'll be a church that's, that, that our best resources that we, that we use on Sundays, we'll share them and use better resources in the other more intimate levels that uh, are in the method you used to make disciples. Father, I pray that we'll, our relationships will get deeper. That we'll be more connected, Lord. I thank you for this church, Lord. I, I do. I thank you so much for the people in this congregation. They've helped me so many times in so many ways. Father, I know that there's times I've been stuck at this level. And I've not tested and I've not tried to, to deepen my relationships. And Father, I just thank you for that, that um, I have a, a group, I can, a small group, a discipleship group. I have men in my life that can say what they want to say and I don't lose my cool or, or if I do, I can recover quickly. Father, I just pray you help us here.
to appreciate all these levels, to recognize them in our life, and to work on improving them. Maybe for some of us here, it's simply going, you know what, I'm at church, but I'm not in a small group. I'll get in a small group. Maybe it's someone here saying, you know what, I'm, a, I'm going to guy time and girl time but I'm in my discipleship group, but I'm not really, I'm not really opening up. I need, to, I need to test the waters. I need to use and take advantage of this resource that I have. And Father, maybe it's somebody that's going, I have nobody that's like John in my life that's, that I'm giving to. Would you help me, Father, contribute and pass on what I have that you've given me, that you've given us? Father, I know Ruby, Ruby Gear, um, her son, Billy, uh, passed away this morning of a heart attack. And Father, um, he, he attended here. Father, I pray that um, you'll comfort Ruby, comfort her family, comfort those of us that know Ruby. And um, Father, I pray you fill her with peace, with your love. Let us, Father, as a church and as a small group, as people around her, hug her, hold her, and walk her through this time of grieving. We pray for, for those that are not here because they're sick, people like Janet and Steph and just others that are sick, they're just not doing well. Father, I pray that, uh, pray, Father, you just take care of them. We pray you'll heal their bodies. Um, Pray you take care of Debbie's cancer. Work on that cancer, Lord. Fight that cancer. We're attached to her. Father, we pray that um, you help some of us here that it's not a disease that's touched our lives, but it's something that's happened and broken our hearts. Somebody's hurt us. Somebody's disappointed us. Somebody's struggling and it's hard to watch. A child, a parent, a friend. Would you work, Father? Would you work through your Holy Spirit, work on their hearts, mend relationships, heal brokenness, release folks, people from strongholds. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.